What's good, First Church? It's great to be here with you. My name is John, and I'm the pastor here. And I know many of you, you're pumped to be here. You're excited. Some of you, though, are probably thinking, um, why? why am I here? You know? I mean, some of you are searching for God, and that makes sense. But there's other, uh, uh, others of us that are like, you know, I believed in God for a long time. I already know this stuff. You know, the Bible says a lot of things that I think I know. Why do I need to go to a building every week to believe in God? You know what I mean? Can't I just do that from home? What's the deal? And I want to speak to that just for a minute before we get started here. When um, my family moved here, we uh, actually needed to find a home that could hold two families. And here's why. Um, my parents live with us. And that's sort of like a Japanese thing. I don't know. It's what we chose to do. And uh, when I started dating my wife, Kristen, she's actually a white girl. I don't know if you guys knew that. But um, she was like, oh, okay, so your parents are going to live with you when they get older? Okay, that'll, that'll never happen, but whatever. And so anyway, um, like nine months after we got married, they moved in with us too. And uh, in Minnesota, we had an awesome house with two kitchens. It was built for two families, super great. But um, when we were trying to move down here, there uh, were not a lot of houses that understood that, that were that way. And uh, we were looking and we thought, well, maybe we'll buy both halves of a duplex. But that was actually super expensive. It was like, man, finding three bedroom duplex halves together, really expensive, couldn't do that. Eventually, a realtor calls us and she's like, I've got the perfect house for you. The floor plan is perfect. Here's the thing. It's kind of a white elephant. It's been on the market for 700 days. It does look a little bit like Mike Tyson's old house. Like it's just, it's a ridiculous house, you know, and, but it's going to be inexpensive. It's going to be reasonable, but it is a white elephant for a number of reasons. Not the least of which is a literal acre of rocks in the front of the house. Okay. It's a two acre lot. And uh, the builder was like, I hate mowing the lawn. I'm going to put the house on one acre and then I'm going to put a whole acre of like, like Department of Transportation rocks on the other half because that'll just age super well and it's not going to look bad. And uh, then he put uh, like that black barrier underneath that. And what's happened over the last 20 years is that has started to break down. And now I have to spray that bad boy all summer long, like every other week with Roundup. And that's a lot of rocks to spray with Roundup. And you're walking on these rocks and it's a good thing that I'm still youngish so that I can kind of walk on those rocks without spraining my ankle and stuff. But I got to spray it all with Roundup. And it's annoying. And here's the thing. If I don't, you can see I got a little late this summer and there's a bunch of weeds that grew up there that I finally killed. Um, and they're everywhere. And I think that's kind of what church is like. We know 100% that the God of the Bible is the one true God. Obviously, something doesn't come from nothing. Intelligent design doesn't come from no intelligence. And, uh, you know, God paves over the weed gardens of our life. He paves over the wild. He makes it good. He, he, he makes it better. He redeems it. And, and I think a lot of people think, you know, when you give your life to Christ, everything changes. The old is gone. The new is here. Now you're a new creation in Christ Jesus. It's amazing. And that is true. That's true. But you got to maintain the new land or the old weeds We'll grow up through it. And I think there's a lot of Christians, that's your life. Like you were new, it was great, but what's happened is you have not maintained what God has done and these weeds have started to grow through. That's a huge part of why we're here, to focus on what's most important, to live a life that matters and to grow in faith and to spray Roundup on the weeds of our life to maintain and grow what God has done for the better, right? I mean, that's what church is about. I wanna welcome online Hebron, Jasper County Jail Campus, and DeMott Wheatfield. It is good to be here with you, and we're at the start of a brand new series that I think is gonna be super important for maintaining and accelerating what God has done in our life. It's called Stay Positive, Stay Positive. And this is, this is kind of a big deal. Like, there's a lot of us, you know, you know somebody who really needs this series. My wife is married to somebody that really needs this series bad. Her husband, she's like, boy, I hope he listens today. Now, I know some of you are like that, like, I hope my so-and-so listens, but I hope you listen. 
okay? I hope you let the Holy Spirit do the work. You don't do too much elbowing because there's a lot of people. If you know someone in your life that sounds like this, like, recession, it's happening all over 2008. Our mortgages, you know, mortgage-backed securities, gas prices, Trump tax fraud, Biden cognitive decline, Ukraine, the liberals, the conservatives, global warming, hurricanes, you know? We didn't start the fire, you know? What are we gonna do? If that's you, you probably probably need um, to try something other than Prozac. I think you need Jesus. And that's what this series is all about. It's about finding positivity in a negative world through Jesus. And it's interesting to me how much we love negativity. I mean, as a human race, why are we so negative? I still remember the night I tuned in live because I'm a huge fanboy. I tuned in live to watch Elon Musk release the Cybertruck. Okay. And this is actually it. This thing it looks so silly. I remember watching on live TV, okay, or live internet, whatever it was. I watched a Cybertruck drive out on the stage and you could audibly hear everybody groaning. Like, what? What is this? You know, it wasn't like, that's cool. It was like, that is the weirdest thing I've ever seen, right? And like, you could tell Elon was uncomfortable because he's like, oh, wow. So this, this didn't go like I hoped it would. Everybody's like, looks ridiculous, whatever. But he's like, guess what, guys? Okay, I know it's kind of ugly, but um, feature that nobody thought you needed that's there is it's bulletproof. And I'm like, what? Like on a list of a hundred things I want in a truck, bulletproof is not one. You know what I mean? Like how often am I getting shot at while driving? Like never, never. I don't want that. How about make it not ugly? You know what I mean? Like that would be sweet. So like, no, it's bulletproof, you know? So he has his assistant who's got like a PhD in rocket science, take a hammer and uh, part of his nerd team. And he swings that hammer super nerdy like at the side. And he's like, see, it won't dent. Now I was like, that is actually kind of cool because I am a terrible driver. You know what I mean? Not to add to stereotypes, but I am half Japanese and I never use turn signals. You know what I mean? Like it's hard for me to remember those things. Like I'm, I'm not good, right? So it's like, okay, that'd be cool. And then he's like, and check this out. The windows are also bulletproof. It's like, okay. So he gives, I think his name was Hans or Franz. He gives him this little, you know, shot put and he has him throw it at the window. And it was a nerdy throw, but he throws it at the window. You know what I mean? And, uh, and he's like, the window's not gonna break. And it hits the window and the window shatters, which was like a super embarrassing moment. You know what I mean? Like I could just feel for him. I have been on stage when things don't go well and it's like, oh my goodness. Like my gut drops, my heart goes. And he is just, you could tell he is dejected finishing up this deal, talking about this Tesla, you know, integrated to no cover, 35 grand for a full-size pickup truck that can go 250 miles on the base level. It's like, well, that's kind of cool. Here's the thing, here's the thing. Because of that negative moment, Everybody everywhere was covering it. Every news, media, whatever, they were all talking about Elon Musk, you know, and his moron Cybertruck, and everybody was making fun of him and whatever. And millions of people saw it then. And this is really what catapulted Tesla onto the main stage. Had millions of pre-orders, including my dad, Rick Hill. He's like, 35,000 for a full size. I just cannot wait to see my dad, the most utilitarian man on earth, driving the zombie apocalypse truck. You know what I mean? Like, it's just gonna be... It's gonna be funny to me. But they set records for pre-orders on this thing. Millions of pre-orders. So much so that Chevy, Ram, and Ford all announced their own electric pickup trucks. Now, Ford's, not surprisingly, beat Tesla to release, right? Ford announced it later, got it out earlier. It's called the Ford F-150 Lightning. And it's basically an F-150 with a bar here that, that gives light. It's like, oh, okay. So that's a, or that's a, that's a F-150 Lightning, right? Many of you guys have pre-ordered it. The base model is 250 miles of range. And uh, one of my favorite YouTube channels is called Hoovy's Garage. Tyler Hoover made a Hoovy's Garage. It's about jalopies. He calls it the dumbest automotive channel in all of YouTube. And he has just over a million subscribers. He purchases the truck, he tests it, and his first videos on it don't do very well because he was positive. But then he releases this video right here where he talks about a towing disaster. And he's got an aluminum trailer, which is pretty, pretty light, 
And he's got a little, you know, one of these things on there. I don't know what that is. Model A, Model T, whatever. Ford pickup truck from a long time ago on there, which isn't very heavy. And he drives 45 miles to the shop to pick this thing up and 45 miles back with it on the back. So 90 miles total, only 45 where he's towing something. And on his way back into his subdivision, he gets the low mileage warning on his truck. And he just talks about 90 miles of range. I mean, that's terrible. What are we going to do? Whatever. And the press went wild again. Negativity. You know, they went and they talked about it and everybody, you know, Fox News and Breitbart. And there's this channel I've never heard of called uh, Infowars by this guy named Alex Jones who totally butchered it. This dude is just straight up fake news. Like totally, totally quoted everything wrong. Couldn't believe it. And this guy... Hoovy's Garage, the dumbest automotive channel in all of YouTube, managed to bring Ford Motor Company to its knees, which I think is pretty remarkable. Like this guy, like Ford Motor Company reaches out to him, like, please, whatever. And he talked about it all. Like, this is a crazy place to be. And uh, so another YouTuber with the same size YouTube channel, basically, a little over a million subscribers as well, JR Garage, publishes a counter video, a counterpoint, which I think Ford Motor Company may have funded. Who knows? That's a conspiracy theory. But here's their video, right? And uh, they did it a little bit different. Tyler Hoover had his trailer like tilted at an angle. So I guess it had more wind resistance. And uh, he went 70. These guys went 50 miles an hour. But they got over 200 miles of range. And they're like, see, it's not that bad. It's, it's good. And uh, what's interesting is to watch the view count between these two videos. Hoovy's Garage, the negative video, got over 2.1 million views on Monday, less than a week after release. I mean, it was crazy, right? JR Garage had 13,000 views. 13,000 views, the positive video. Isn't that weird? how negativity sells. I mean, there's something about us that just loves negativity. They say if it bleeds, it leads. It's addicting. We want it so bad. You know, there was a big cheating scandal in the walleye fishing circuit, you know, and I don't care about walleye fish. I never heard about it. I like eating it, but that's it. You know what I mean? All of a sudden, now I care about walleye fishing and weigh-ins and whatever, because all of a sudden, right? I mean, we're, we Google car crash compilations. We Google cats getting scared. We Google people falling over, because we want to watch bad things. What is with us? Why do we love negativity? You know, sometimes I Google, there's this old video called Kelsey Grammer Falling. It's like my favorite video in the world. You should look it up. But anyway... I think the question we should be asking ourselves is why are we so negative? Why? All the data tells us that, that positive people do better in life. Focusing on the positive brings about greater opportunity and success and wealth and health. I mean, literally, being positive. Negativity leads to a shorter life, lower levels of achievement, worse relationships, and lower levels of overall health. I mean, that's a remarkable set of things. There is no evolutionary explanation on a scientific level for a massive love of negativity, which humanity has. In fact, evolutionary theory would posit that negativity would have been filtered out of the human experience and genome. Think about it. Some animals are positive. Dogs are pretty positive. Lots of animals have bright outlooks. So why are we so negative? And this is why. I think for humans, negativity is a spiritual thing. Think about this. God created humanity in a paradise with complete positivity. I mean, we didn't even have a knowledge of what evil was. We didn't have the capacity to feel negative before sin entered the world. But when sin was brought into the world through Adam and Eve, we were changed spiritually, fundamentally. Paul puts it this way in Romans, talking about this old sinful nature that we got from the Garden of Eden. He says, when we were controlled by this old sinful, or this old nature, sinful desires were at work within us. And the law aroused these evil desires that produced a harvest of sinful deeds, resulting in death. And I always read that, you know, before I was a Christian, I was like resulting in like bad things. And then I get to that part. I always be like, what? Like that escalated quickly. Why did we suddenly go from like, you know, it roused these things that, you know, ultimately resulted in like death. What does he even mean by that? Well, when the Bible talks about death, it is talking about physical death, 
But that's not the only thing. The concept of death is a spiritual, emotional, relational, and physical fundamental lacking. It says there isn't gonna be enough. You're not gonna have enough life because of sin. You're not gonna have good enough relationships. Your spirit is gonna be fundamentally not enough because of sin in the world. That's what the Bible is talking about when it's talking about death. All of these things lacking, it's a scarcity of all things. We no longer have unlimited everything. We no longer have unlimited life. The result of sin is we won't have enough. And I think for rational, logical people, it's super clear to see that sin does lead to death. Lying leads to not enough relationships, spiritually, emotionally, physically. Betrayal, same thing. Sex outside of marriage leads to fatherless homes, strife, difficulty, and emotional baggage. In some forms of birth control leads to death, cheating, not good. Fighting, not good. In fact, all sin brings about in its own way a part of death, right? That's what it does. The Bible says that we were conceived with a sinful nature. David says, for I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. The spiritual explanation clearly fits what we see. We're born with sin. We know it. We expect it. In fact, I would say it's, it's almost natural to us, isn't it? I mean, there's a part of us like negativity almost feels right. It doesn't feel right when everything's going good. Negativity is, I mean, we're drawn to negativity. There's part of us that likes feeling like a victim. You ever wonder why people self-sabotage? You ever wonder why people look to explain things in the worst possible light? It's almost like we don't like feeling good. If you get a good deal, you try to explain why it's a bad deal. Got it on sale. You know, whatever. It's, I mean, I didn't really, I can't really afford that. I can't, whatever. Why? Because, because we want to throw a pity party because that's our nature. We have sin written on our hearts, the expectation of bad things. And this is a huge part of why I love being a Christian. You know, statistically, Christians have significantly happier, more positive lives, or are more likely to. I mean, we meet lots of Christians who don't, of course. We've also met non-Jesus followers who are amazing. But statistically, as a whole, Christians are far more likely to have joyful lives. And when you meet that Christian, you know, that real strong God-loving Christian, you see this faith that's alive and then you see them come into a negative moment of their life, a crisis. It's always inspiring to me, you know. I work with people in crisis kind of for a living. I mean, families doing funerals and families struggling. And it's amazing to see families that just have this legacy of faith through the generations. When they face tragedy, when they face hardships, when they face difficulty in their life, you just see this inner resolve and steadfast faithfulness that like pulls them through it with joy. It's like, how do they do it? How is that possible? And it's actually a part of being a Christian. It's part of our inheritance, part of the promises of God being activated in our life. Our key passage in Romans 7 goes on. It says, but now we have been released from the law for we died to it. That law, sin, we died to it and we are no longer captive to its power. Now we can serve God. What he's saying here is God changes our nature when we become a Christian from one of death to one of life. And that's amazing. Negativity is no longer the natural state of our hearts. We no longer live in fear of not having enough. God has given us by his grace exceedingly abundantly more than we can ask for or imagine. We have eternal life. We're no longer fighting for more, worrying about not having enough. No matter what happens in this life, the grace of God gives us exceedingly abundantly more than we need through Jesus. And 2 Corinthians 5.17 puts it this way. It says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life is begun. We are new and different. And this fundamentally changes our outlook on everything. It's interesting to see the way that the Bible coaches Christians to deal with hardship. 
But it's kind of remarkable when you read it. Um, Paul says, so now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. He's like, yeah, when I face insults, persecution, slander, it's all good. Power of Christ works through me. I boast about it. It's a good thing. James, the half-brother of Jesus, says, Dear brothers and sisters, when you face trials of any kind, or when trials and uh, troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. Romans 5.3 says, We can rejoice, too, when we run into problems and trials. For we know that they help us develop endurance. This is the Bible's perspective for Christians who face troubles. Oh, it's all good. It's all good. Like you have heaven to look forward to. The worst thing that can happen in this life is, is death, I suppose. And guess what? Death isn't the end. We have eternal life in Christ Jesus. And you know, I've met Christians who really embrace this and it's amazing. You know the kind I'm talking about. They have this resilient, steadfast faith and hope in every situation. Good, bad, it's all good. You know, it's interesting too to see American society I think that many decades ago, American society was predominantly Christian. And what was the prevailing attitude of our culture? The best is yet to come. America is the land of opportunity. It is a great place. It's a great time to be alive. We have a society where we believe the best. You know, it's gonna be good. The future's bright. It's good. And as we see the teachings of Jesus recede from the prevailing winds of our society, what happens? We see a society that has become super negative. Oh, it's systemically awful, evil, corrupt, terrible. The world is terrible. How dare you? You know, it's awful. It's devastating. The future is not bright. It's bad. It's evil. That is a non-Christian outlook, right? Distinctly. Christians who have the hope of Jesus, I mean, it's just amazing to see the joy that they have. And in Christ, we have this new outlook that transforms us because our physical death is not the end of our life. This removes the fundamental fear, stress, worry, and greed behind everything. It gives us a hope and a future and a generosity that can prevail in any circumstance. We are set free from that old nature of sin and death and negativity because in Christ, we have eternal life. This is the outlook of a Christian. Now, I know a lot of you are like, wow, that is, that is great. That's theologically very true. That was a theologically dense portion of the message. But the big question that a lot of you should be asking that I ask myself a lot is if this is all true, if God gives us his great new nature, why are Christians sometimes still negative and how do we get positive? For, for Christians, um, do you remember when you first became a Christian? Oh man, everything was, I mean, I remember for like a year after I gave my life to Christ, I was like, dude, it's all good. I'm going to heaven. This is fantastic. I mean, God is so good. Yes, I want to share Jesus with you. I mean, I couldn't help but talking about Jesus. Everything was good. Every day I woke up and it was amazing. I truly was transformed. I went from being a negative, angry 15-year-old to this joy-filled man. But over the course of time, I started bringing that old nature back to life, slipping into old loops of thinking. Paul puts it this way. He says, after God put that old nature to death in my life and I was new and I was set free, Romans 7, 25, he says, as a Christian, the apostle of Christ Jesus says, but there is another power within me that's at war within my mind. <clears throat> this power makes me a slave to sin that is within me. And he's saying that old sinful nature, sometimes what he has a tendency to do is like Frankenstein, fight to bring it back to life. He's like a mad scientist. Those old weeds in the driveway, those weeds slipping through the rocks in a rock garden, they're growing back. And if you don't stay on top of it, the work of God, will be overrun. I think we've seen that in our life, haven't we? I mean, some of you guys back in the day, oh, you love God. Oh, he was so good. And you know, God's so good. And I just love him so much. But over the course of time, it just gets messy, doesn't it? The weeds start to grow back. The joy starts to fade. And this is a huge part of why living our faith matters. 
We don't just cognitively believe in Jesus. It's easy to believe in Jesus. The devil believes in Jesus. We have to live it out. This is why gathering together on Sunday mornings, this is why life groups, this is why reading our Bible, this is why serving God is so important. What are we doing? We're spraying Roundup on the weeds of our life, maintaining and expanding the work of God. And today I wrote down four different cracks in our life. Really, I should say four different kinds of weeds that we need to spray Roundup on in our life. And I want to talk about them. And I think that you might identify with some of these, even if you're not a Christian, I think there are some of these that you're going to identify with that you'll find helpful. But the first area that I think we need to deal with is something called relational distrust. This is where you tend to assume the worst about people. Now, God calls us to assume the best, but for so many of us, we just assume the worst and manifests in believing everybody's out to get you. For guys, this is like everybody on Facebook marketplace, just a swindler. Can't trust anybody. You know, they come in, they ask me if it's still for sale. Look, I said in the post, if it's listed, it's still for sale. I got to carry a gun everywhere I go because I might get robbed. You know, the streets of DeMott and Wheatfield and Hebron are real mean. You know what I mean? It's the Wild West out here. Walk with a swagger because I've been a cowboy in my F-150, lightning all day, you know. I got that beefed up home security. I got a drone machine gun up there pointing at everybody, making sure that the zombies don't get to my house because God knows, you know. Who's in that car going through my parking lot? I better call the sheriff's department and run the plates. You know, who is that person? That's what guys are like. For girls, it's like, I can't really text them back because they might reject me or hurt me. I don't want to have people over because they might see my house and they might judge me that my life isn't clean enough or my decorating choices or whatever. I just can't. I need a privacy fence because the paparazzi might snap a picture of me wandering out to the rain gauge in my bathrobe. God forbid that my life... Listen, we live at the safest point. I mean, in human history, I never lock my car and rarely my house. If our house gets robbed, I just feel like the robbers are gonna be so disappointed. You know what I mean? Like we have no TVs or electronics, no personal tablets. God forbid they take our found on roadside for free furniture. It's like, yeah, you can have it. It's covered in crayons. Fantastic. Sorry about that. Thank you. Jesus addresses this. He says, look, this is the attitude. If you struggle with relational distrust, this is the attitude as a Christian I want you to have. But I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. If you're sued in court and your shirt's taken from you, give your coat. Notice it doesn't say you can't defend yourself. But look, if it happens, if an injustice is committed, it's okay. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, look, carry it two miles. Why is he saying this? Because we have unlimited life. We're so worried about an injustice. We have this mindset of you don't have enough, you don't have enough, I don't have enough, I don't have enough, I gotta fight. It's like God's given you more than enough. You don't need to live in fear that you're never gonna have enough. And here's the deal. If you struggle with relational distrust, there's a lot of different things that happen on this rainbow. You know, I mean, on your way down, you get, you know, fear and insecurity for sure. You get anxiety, but the pot of gold at the end of that rainbow of relational distrust is loneliness. Loneliness. You'll have no friends. You won't trust. You won't have close relationships. The second one is called uh, negative filtering. And uh, this is seeing only the bad and this is the one that I struggle with on a personal level intensely. I can get a dozen compliments on a sermon and one critique, and the only thing I can think about is that critique. We can have a great weekend, but if we got a lift and the ramp in the hallway over there that it's hard to get by, it's the only thing I can think about. You know, how could we? Why didn't we move it? When I play sports or games, I don't care if I win. Best case scenario, it's a, it's a net neutral. You know, winning means nothing to me. Winning is not a good thing. If I lose, it's the end of the world. If I'm playing Pokemon with my kids and it's going bad, I mean, I'm flipping chips. That's it. It's just the worst. Ladies who do this, your husband can do 10 things right, but you only have eyes for the one thing wrong that he didn't do. 
Being a Christian doesn't mean you ignore the negative, by the way. It means you see the truth. What we do is allow the light of Christ to illuminate what is, the good and the bad, the positive and the negative. We see it together. And I think there's a lot of us, we just struggle with seeing only the negative. And I think the godly have the courage to see both. What this weed does when it's in your life is it blinds you to the goodness of God. I mean, by a global standard, we're filthy rich. We all have good lives, you know, homes to come home to. We got all this stuff, clean water, generally health. And yet this issue right here, negative filtering, will make you feel like the mansion you come home to and all the things you have are terrible. And it just blows my mind. I mean, I know guys, they got these huge heated shops, you know, full of LS swap dune buggies and, you know, Hayabusa swap golf carts. And they're like, man, my life is just the worst. It's like, come on. That golf cart can do 120 mile an hour. Are you serious right now? How can your life be bad? The third one is um, absolute thinking. This is the real pandemic that came out of the pandemic. And what this is, is extreme polarized thinking. It's 100% black or 100% white. It's good or bad. We see this everywhere. If a man does something bad, oh, then all men are bad. If a Democrat does something bad, then all the Democrats are. If a Republican does something bad, then all the Republicans are bad. If a cop does something bad, well, then all cops are bad. If he doesn't see the effort in the moment, then he never sees what I do. He just always, he's all bad. If he doesn't text you back right now, then he doesn't even love me. You know, it's absolute thinking. And this type of thinking ugh, makes your lives miserable. And what it is, and I want you to get this, is it is a mental shortcut that skips all the middle ground. Normally, you know, you'd have a progression towards anger, towards disappointment, towards whatever. But when you have absolute thinking, you just go from zero to 100 in an instant. It's just, it's a good day, now it's a terrible day. And some of you, you know I've got you here. You're stuck in absolute thinking. What you're doing is you're alive in Christ, but you're raising your old nature from the grave. Living as though you're dying and you don't have enough to share when you have exceedingly abundantly more than you could ask for or imagine. Some of you, everybody knows you struggle this except you. You can't see it because, Pastor, here's the problem. I'm always right. I see through the smoke and mirrors. Look, this weed is so destructive. This weed ruins the work of God in your life by eliminating your ability to see and confess your sin. And it turns out that being a Christian and confessing sin, pretty important. Maintaining the grace of God in your life happens through continued confession of sin. It's a big one. The fourth and last one I want to talk about, this is the most common, this is one that I think is one of the more destructive ones, is blaming. Super common. I just blame other people all the time. A blamer, this is what a blamer says, okay? If you find yourself thinking this, like, I'm just a really good person. I've always just been a good person. You know, everybody really sees that I'm a good person. Everybody likes me. Blamers say that, you know, my people are lucky to have me. My husband, my wife is lucky to have me. I'm a good person. If you made a pie chart of all your problems in life, and I asked you to show me what percent is your fault, you'd say, like, 25%, 15%. Really, it's mostly their fault. It's not really mostly my fault, like most of my problems. Your honest perception is just to fill with rage as you think about how your key relationships have taken advantage of you, oh, your parents or your boss or your spouse, because it's all their fault. For some blamers, it's every relationship. <clears throat> For some of us, we're just blamers in a few or one relationship. But blaming is this little weed that grows up in the cracks of your new life, and it pushes apart the smooth land that God has created in her heart. And it can really mess you up. And it sounds like something as innocuous as I'm just a really good person. And some people just take advantage of that. If you're a blamer who claims to follow Jesus, you will have a pride issue and a self-worship issue. Blaming fundamentally is an idolatry of self issue. I'm a good person. I don't need God. I am my own God. I'm good enough, right? I mean, they need Jesus, but really, like I'm a good person. 
And this weed is so destructive. Destroys the presence of God in your life. Blaming. So a lot of you are probably asking, all right, pastor, you got me on one, two, or maybe four of those. You know, I see it, whatever. How do we spray the Roundup? How do we deal with it? And I've got two steps. Two steps, okay? Two steps to identify the Roundup. First one's identify which of these areas do you struggle with. For some of you, I bet you're seeing that you have or currently do struggle with many of these throughout the week. Different areas of your life. Some of you, it's only once in a while, but you see it. I want you to identify what area it is. For me, the big weed I struggle with is negative filtering. I'm a new creation in Christ with new life, new hope. But I have brought death into that new life with thought patterns that don't reflect what I believe. That's what it is. And when you identify, I don't just want you to say, oh, I struggle with negative filtering. I want you to, with pinpoint accuracy, point out exactly where you struggle with that. Like, Think about where the triggers are. Where do you actually do it? For me, I get specific. I'll tell you exactly where I do. Um, I, uh, I, negative filtering happens when people in my life let me down more than once. Okay? I'm a graceful man. Somebody screws up, it's okay, I forgive you, it's fine. They let me down twice, it's like, you got two left feet. I am so sick and tired of you continuing. This is ridiculous. And in my mind, when I see that person, all I can think about is all the ways they keep screwing up. I love all my kids equally. I just love some more equally than others because some of them just can't get it right. You know what I mean? That's just the issue that I have. Struggle with negative filtering. Identify the specific area, okay? These four things, I want you to think, where is it that I actually struggle with this, with blaming, with whatever it is you struggle with. And then, this is a big one, step two, this matters, this is a big deal. I want you to rededicate that area of your life to Jesus. You humbly go to Jesus. You say, Jesus, I need you to forgive my sins and lead my life in this area again. Because that's what negativity is ultimately rooted in. I want you to get this, probably the most important part of the message. Our negativity is a small area of rebellion against the leadership and lordship of Christ in our life. That's what it is. It is a fundamental distrust that God is faithful, that his grace is sufficient, and that he will keep his promises. That's what it is. God, I don't believe that you're going to take care of me in this way. <clears throat> God, I don't believe that you're going to make all things new. Okay? A fundamental, and it's okay to feel bad. It's okay to hurt through things. But when you have allowed a prevalent sense of negativity to supersede things in your life, you are living in a lack of faithfulness. I struggle with this. Now, what I want to do is go through each of these areas and show you what you can do to spray the roundup specifically. If you struggle with relational distrust, this is what you do. You say, Jesus, you took me just as I was without one plea. I was not trustworthy. I was not a good person. And you forgave me in spite of it. So I choose to forgive and love this person, even if they take advantage of me. And I know that you've given me all that I need. And I have more than enough. It doesn't mean that you enable addicts. It doesn't mean you become a codependent. But the fundamental bitterness the fundamental presumption that they're bad, that everybody's bad, everybody's gonna take advantage of you, you release that because God forgave you when you were fundamentally bad. Number two, if you struggle with negative filtering, like I do, this is a big one. Um, before I walk into a situation that I know I'm gonna struggle with, right? I'm gonna talk with somebody that I know, you know, has got issues. I pray and I specifically say, Jesus, I choose to see the positive alongside the negative with this person, right? Because Christ followers, we have the courage to allow the light of Christ to show us the whole truth, right? That's what we do. And uh, for me, I know this might sound mundane, but this has been life-changing for me. If I'm mad at somebody, okay, and I'm talking with somebody that's got two left feet and all they do is screw up in my life. Every time I think of something negative, I stop the narrative of my mind and I think of one positive thing, right? I'm gonna match each. So I'm like, oh, they do this thing. Wait, pause before I go on. Think of something positive. And I know that that sounds little, and basic, but this has stopped me from making some huge mistakes in my life. 
because I've implemented this discipline. It's just a new discipline that helps me see the whole truth more clearly. It's negative filtering. If you struggle with absolute thinking, most absolute thinkers really struggle with being corrected in the area they're absolute thinkers. They just, they do not, they live in echo chambers, they have difficulty um, being corrected. So I'll tell you to ask a wise, godly, it should say wise, godly person um, to show you where you do it, where you're absolute thinking, and then give them permission to correct you. I dare you to do it. I challenge you to do it. Last one, if you struggle with blaming, ask a wise, godly person to show you your role. This was so transformational for my wife, Kristen. Years ago, this was the one she struggled with. She was a big time blamer. She felt like a victim in her life. You know, everybody loved her. She was a good person in her mind. And uh, she felt like everybody was out to get her. You know, it was really hard. She went through the 12 steps and she made a list of all of her unforgiveness and hurt, all the places where she felt victimized. And she had this mentor named Dina Bergman who told her what her role was for each thing. And there were some of them, she's like, I was victimized, I was hurt. There is no way that you can say, I, play, I was not guilty in this. And Dina showed her her role. And my wife, Kristen, had the courage to ask for forgiveness and own her role. And it set her free, set her free, praise God. Where in your life do you need to deal with some weeds? If we are new in Christ, the work of God should give us joy. And if we don't have that joy, where are we allowing weeds to stop it? I don't want our church to be full of people who years ago were on fire for Jesus, but today are like, nah. I want us to be a church that loves God deeply, that expands the work of God in our life and heart and in our community. And to do that, we need to consistently be vigilant about dealing with the weeds of unfaithfulness in our life. I want us to be a church with hope and a church that really believes that the best is yet to come. If you're not a Christian, you have not had Jesus give you unlimited life. I'll just remind you today that something doesn't come from nothing. We know that God is real. All the data is there. And I want you to hear this. God gives you abundant life. He really does. And if you're stuck in negativity, if you've tried everything, you know, you sowed your wild oats, you lived the dream, you did all this stuff, and you're sitting there and you're lonely and you're tired and you're wondering why, I want you to know that Jesus is freedom and healing. And I wanna ask you to humbly come to him today. He is the healer. He is the redeemer. He is the forgiver. And he takes us from a nature of death to a nature of life. If you wanna do that on all your seats, there's just a blue card. You can put your first last name and your number and just check this box. I wanna learn more about following Jesus. And you drop that in the um, blue card box on your way out. But as we close, this is week one of Stay Positive. I'd like to ask all of our locations at the Jail Hebron online and here at DeMont Wheatfield, stand to your feet. And uh, let's have a prayer. God in heaven, I thank you so much that you are a God of hope, God who keeps his promises. I thank you that you give us exceedingly abundantly more than we could ask for or imagine. God, I thank you that your promises are so good and that in you the best is yet to come. And for those of us who have begun to forget that or live like that's not true, for those of us who have begun to um, remove your promises from our life, would you give us the discipline and the courage to recognize it, pinpoint it, confess it, and deal with it this week? God, I ask that you would restore hearts that have been overrun. And today I ask that as a church, we would leave with joy, hope, and positivity, really truly believing together that the best is yet to come. I ask this in Jesus' name, all God's people said. Amen and amen. Let's sing this last song together, guys.